Welcome to Watching Watchmen, a Lost Boys podcast with me, Jack, and me, Jacob. Hello, welcome to Watching Watchmen, a Lost Boys podcast with me, Jacob Stolworthy, and me, Jack Shepherd. Today we have a special guest, someone we've been trying to get on for a while, but... Hi, my name's Campbellay. This sounds like I'm about to introduce myself at an alcoholics meeting. Um, Who to say it's not? Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a group therapy sort of thing, just talking about surviving episodes of Watchmen. But yeah, um, I'm really thrilled to be on here. It's been a scheduling nightmare, but we finally made it just before. It's our fault. We're going to take responsibility, aren't we, Jack? I'll take full responsibility. It's all Jack. It was not me at all. I'm just ready and waiting, and then Jack's just living this life. When is it not, Jack? I know. It's like it's like Doctor Manhattan. Where is he? We just know who he is. Yeah, well, could be anyone. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, especially is... today. <laughs> so, what do you do? Tell us. I am a freelance film and TV critic. I write about film and TV. Yes, you do, and very well, might I add. Oh, <laughs> very well. You've written about Watchmen a few times, haven't you? Um, a co- yeah, a couple of times now. I had a piece published very recently about episode six, which is kind of handy timing because I feel like a lot of this episode is dedicated to unpacking what just happened. It's kind of like it's taking a breath. So it felt like a very opportune moment to get in there and talk about that before the show did. Absolutely. And also, I mean, that episode has caused quite a sensation, hasn't it? It's the episode where people have kind of gone, have kind of, I think with a lot of this show, people have been been viewing it with a sort of skepticism, like a let's see where this goes kind of energy. And I was for a little bit as well, because like when you're adapting something as sort of like a landmark text, like Watchmen, you kind of just wait for someone to like do something for it to fall apart. And then episode six kind of comes along and it basically pulls all these different threads in together, completely crystallizes the point and everyone just kind of simultaneously snapped out of that mode and just goes, oh, (laughs) this is genuinely incredible. Like really kind of late entry to best of the decade material right? and yeah. it's yeah it's kind of it's genuinely earth-shaking stuff i think whether you don't like the episode or mm. not i think because it's su- it's such a monumental swing absolutely <laughs> and a hit for me i think absolutely so give us some context about your watchman background oh okay it's funny because i was never really much of a sort of dc comics slash i'd say maybe 80s revisionist comics kind of person mm. um i've been reading comics since a very young age so but I've always been more involved in the sort of poppy side of it. So like Spider-Man and things like that. So picking up like a random series from the nineties, because those are ones I just sort of dig out of friends, uh, um, like or relatives lofts. And then funnily enough, it was the Zack Snyder trailer for like the trailer for the Zack Snyder Watchmen, which put me onto it because I just sort of looked at it and I was just like, this looks crazy. What is this? And I picked up the graphic novel sort of in prep for it because I was just kind of losing my mind in the promo run up to that movie i've read the comic i thought it was incredible a lot of the symbolism was lost on me because i was about 14 or 15 and then i watched the film and i was just like yeah this is wicked like i love this <laughs> Best film <laughs> ever and i was just like oh it's like bones breaking and <laughs> um stuff like that and then i've kind of kind of come to not like the film yeah, so much yeah how, how many years after did you realize maybe a few i watched a couple of cuts of the film mm. I, it was one of those things i watched it once and i was like cool and then i watched it again and i was like cool and then i was found out there was longer cuts and I was like yes yeah. <laughs> and after, over, after a couple of rewatches I just sort of left it alone and I read the graphic novel a couple more times something I just kind of became increasingly obsessed with I remember my dad bought me a philosophy book entirely about Watchmen no way <laughs> it's a, just a like philosophy this whole, book about Watchmen yeah just this like collection of essays like philosophical essays That's about the book so I was just like kind of obsessed with reading about it and then the more I read about the book and reread it I was like 
Oh, um, <laughs> he really kind of missed the point yeah. there. And I think that's why I'm enjoying this show so much because it feels like, even though it's a very tricky thing because Moore has kind of, kind of in, per in perpetuity has di like disinherited any Watchmen adaptation that isn't... Right. I mean, it's not really anything to do with him anymore, so yeah. he disavows it. But I think that this is the closest that anyone has got to his spirit Um you know, since Absolutely. himself. And I think the thing, the thing is, it's such a different approach. And it's one that, I mean, I remember speaking to Regina King back in February and she was like, so it, it's very similar to, you know, themes to if Bill Street could talk. And I'm like, wait, Watchmen, what? Like, you know, a different approach that he's done. I think if Alan Moore watched it, he would secretly love it. Secretly, very secretly. I mean, that's never going to come out, is it? Imagine if he came out one day and just went, by the way, actually, I think this is better than my work. <laughs> what it needs. People would lose their shit. What it needs is his daughter or something to come to literally like him to like tell her one night, like, I, I love Watchmen. And she's like, what? And then she tells a friend, and a friend tells a friend, and, <laughs> and it snowballs. And then before we know it, we got the scoop. More loves Lindelof's version You're of Watchmen. You're just going to see that in like all the headlines, just like, friend tells friend tells friend that Alan Moore actually really likes it. Huge, huge headline just being like, uh, Alan Moore reading his for nerds watch the TV show <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about episode 7 which I can't believe we're on because that means we've got two episodes left to go only two and who knows if it's going to be coming back we don't know I kind of hope yeah no you, you want it to be like a one season and thought yeah like a Chernobyl one season boom one of the classics I just don't understand how it's going to wrap up in just two more episodes it feels like so much is happening and then you've got the big reveal in this episode and it feels like there's so much to develop there and kind of go into and you've got the character of Cal who we've only really touched on before this mm. and now I want an entire season just about him. It's like an episode that makes you just want to go back and re-watch every single Cal scene just to see if there what, mm. what clues are there. I, I also just think that this episode, what it does really well is I know we've got two episodes left and it feels impenetrable going into the next few episodes, but it does establish the fact that Angela is in a lot of danger right now with what she's in possession of, which we will come to in a minute. So going, that's what I think, you know, the stakes are very high. Yeah, for sure. Stakes are high, man. So this is called a uh, an almost religious awe, this episode, which we tried to break down in last week's episode. What did we, what did we say? It's... A quote from a panel of the Watchmen novel when uh, we see Dr. Manhattan, huge, in Vietnam. And walking we see around. him kind of walking around and you see that like yeah. recreated in the episode as well. So what's great about that opening is it's almost like it's like a, a, a John Osterman explainer, how he became Dr. Manhattan, but it's like presented like a Ken Burns style 10-part documentary, yeah. which I would totally watch. <laughs> With sort of the sort of the VCR scrubbing as well. Yeah. Just that really awful, well, I guess it would have been Betamax at the time. Maybe. Betamax, yeah. Just like this kind of really grainy, awful footage and this sort of tinned synths yeah, <laughs> over yeah. it. It's just this really kind of corny, like, back, back roads production Absolutely. Uh, of it. It's really great. Again, what I love is, like, someone, like, who who doesn't, isn't familiar with the watch uh, Watchmen source material, watching this opening and be like, wait, what? Like, really <laughs> tall blue man. It's just really great. What was it like seeing, kind of, him on screen properly for the first time? I think they treated it with a sort of surprising dignity because I think it's a show that's very aware of its limits and very cautious about mm. how it engages with the uh, more direct parts of the book. Um, seeing him as a sort of matte blue uh, painted guy on a old Hollywood green screen was hysterical. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, is it, is it crud up in, in the film? It's, yeah, it's yeah. crud up in the film. Don't know how much of crud up it is, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was present on some of those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's sort of building towards a very different interpretation of him from the start. I think what thrilled me about his portrayal is partly, like, it's going to make me sound a little bit stuffy, but I just like the sort of, how it's changed the symbolism of Dr. Manhattan mm. right from the sort of very beginning of the episode because we have, I think, as has been discussed before, William Reeves sort of appears as this proto superman figure with his sort of his own krypton sort of krypton in miniature with the tulsa massacre mm. and he ends up in the blanket in the field and etc and he ends up fighting for social justice mm. dr manhattan was always the superman parallel in the books because he's the only one with literal superpowers and you have him people being in awe of him and the government sort of enlisting him and he fights for truth and justice or whatever but then you realize that as of this episode, it's American justice. It's mm. something that's very clear in the graphic novel as well, but he is literally obliterating masses of people in Vietnam. So mm. it's like it creates this sort of these mirror images of ideas of the Superman. And so on one mm. hand, you have this black power fantasy in Hooded Justice, and then you have a sort of white power fantasy mm. in Dr. Manhattan, Ubermensch, who can obliterate America's enemies with, with a snap of his fingers which is really interesting in that opening after when when we're established with with 10 year old angela in vietnam after the americans have won the war and as she's looking around it's kind of there are flashes of the tulsa massacre and it's we're obviously they're holding up a a, a mirror to the violence and, and the comparison what were your views on that scene because i think this episode is just it's probably the best directed episode of the lot. Um, and this is one of the reasons why. And then it, it obviously precedes the moment where we learn that Angela's parents, which we knew something had gone wrong with them because we knew that she was an orphan. But what was your make, what was your make of this? I agree. It was extremely well directed and drawing the parallels between, you know, look back on Black Wall Street, which was an event that actually happened. And then this also this fictional event of what Vietnam could have been and pulling, I thought it was just quite an interesting comparison between like something that was fictional and also something that was very, very real. Mm. So I'm glad, I'm glad it happened this way around and that they did. We had all the, the stuff that affected Will Reeves first rather than diving straight into Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And so we've kind of built up to that and it's really, it just feels really cleverly done and it feels like it's all slotted into place so nicely but, you know, I feel like there's so much to dissect here. What, what did you make of it? There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> um, I, with the sort of intercutting of things like uh, Will having the hood put over his mm. head and similar things with a Vietnamese man. Um, I think that's later on in the episode, but uh, sort of yeah. intercutting of the, and then intercutting of the actual massacre as well. This very clear. I think I, I, enjoy, I thought this was really bold. It's very clear matching of this horrible, very real massacre with this sort of fictional representation of these sort of American ideals of manifest mm -hmm. destiny. Like this, so we, they come in as these like great liberators and it's just, but it's all, but really it's just another manifestation of this sort of white power. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, uh, that it, that it builds it just into its visual direction at this point. It's just, it feels like it's just moving like clockwork mm -hmm. at this point. It's now it's made all of these symbols out of the, this, the, world that more made and like histories that people haven't really talked about like has been mentioned before the Tulsa thing not being taught in schools yeah. so it's taking all of these sort of different histories and just like putting them together in like three shots yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. right 
because I and, and obviously it goes it runs right through to some of the literally the dialogue spoken by Keane later on in the episode, which we will come to. Uh, but it just harkens back. But what I also yeah. had a, had a feeling about was when you got young. 10-year-old Angela looking around and then it's splashing to the different places and it's throughout the episode, the smattering of it. Um, I was thinking, as well as, be, as being a stylistic decision, could it have something to do with the fact that she's taken Will's nostalgia as an adult and then as it does it... Because I, I, I don't know, I, was this like a residual thing of her kind of being young, remembering all these things and then her young self seemed to be remembering her... like. A, previous generation do you know what I mean it well, so you think it was a dream within a dream it seems like it at some at some moment you're saying it. this show's actually Inception, Inception. as well <laughs> I just like to bring everything back to Christopher Nolan <laughs> I did think that sort of echo effect was just really interesting where it's mm. um, fine it's like her brain making sense of her own history and the the parts that like have just been revealed to her like it like the sh- it does a little more literally like the show is her sifting through this information that she's just been handed and right. just like relating it to herself and i like that it makes this sort of trauma so much further reaching than sort of it that it then it beginning with william and ending with angela it has yeah. this sort of like large in between as well and like shows the consequences of the attitudes of something like Tulsa. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of full circle stuff in this episode, which I just thought was like really excellent. I also, I think that, well, dude, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong. I've absolutely missed him up. You know, when she wants to, where they capture the guy, the suicide bomber, and she identifies the suicide bomber, and then they kill the bomber, but she says, Can I listen in? Uh, she's obviously got this like desire for policing already. Like she yeah. wants to fight crime. Could it have been inspired by this like future event where she takes the the nostalgia? I, I'm honestly thinking this, and then it was almost like she was on a crash course to like become a policewoman because of what happens. It's in the like a, some Assassin's Creed time travel enabled honestly, through the blood. That's definitely not happening. Yet. <laughs> okay, cool. That's one hundred. I think the whole point is, you know, we we we've spoken about it on this podcast multiple times yeah, about yeah, yeah. the past. You know, the rep- the repetition, the repeating of itself, and the le- legacy, which is also mentioned throughout this so much and how we just can't escape our past and so even what happened back in Tulsa and then what happened in Nam and now what's happening in the present day mm. is consistent power trips of powerful Americans white people you know and, and now we've got racism rife in America today in Watchmen and then we see it like back in Vietnam and then you see it back in there in uh, Tulsa as well it's like that whole thing of like the same thing it's just happening and happening and happening again and so I guess the question is like how as uh, Khaleesi says in Game of Thrones how are they going to break the wheel of it repeating over and over again Lady True Lady True <laughs> I think the stuff with um, Angela's like desire to be a police officer again like ties in like it ties in perfectly with uh, William as well and then both yeah. of these people are now are, like realizing the limitations of being an individual in a system that is basically just like geared against them mm. and then also the sort of upper limits of striving for justice as an individual rather than sort of something as a collective like mm. justice as a collective so it just becomes like policing as vengeance or at least at the very least like at its core just a power fantasy where someone gets to exert their mm. will over someone else who wronged them just mm. like a feeling of being more secure like in the fact that this man is now like this man who wronged her is now dead yeah. and same goes for will i suppose so it's very interesting in how it with the hooded justice thing it flips a lot of watchman's history on its head and talks about like the sort of 
erasure of black heroes and things like that, but at the same time, it's still very much on Alan Moore's um, superheroes are kind of mental. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just crazy people. Just like there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain there that is not solved by murder. Yeah, right, right. And I mean, we see her before her dad dies. He, you can see the experience of um, you know his own father rubbing off on him in a negative way because he says to her that you know people who wear masks are dangerous. Like trying to embed, the, instill this this uh, idea into her before he dies at a young age. I think what's interesting there, as much as we're talking about the repetition and repetition and stuff, yeah. but the the son, Will Reeves' son, tries to almost break that, doesn't he, by not wanting Angela to do that. And she somehow still picks that up mm. and still does that. It's like he almost thought, you could say that the stuff in Nam when he's there, that maybe he thought it was somehow fixed or just didn't realise that there was still a huge underlying problem. And so... He just thought that there was no point in having masks anymore, no point in having superheroes. But obviously, that's not quite the case. It's not quite the case. Is it? <laughs> not quite the case at all. Uh, let's talk about. Let's just finish off the uh, Vietnam scenes. We see um, her grandmother come to visit her. Um, oh. Heartbreaking. Yeah, br- briefly, <laughs> let's say. Uh, let's talk about that scene. It's uh, it's quite a nice scene. It's actually a bit of a um, slam the brakes on scene. I liked it. I adored Grandma June. Sweet, <laughs> isn't she? She wants to take her back to home to Tulsa, doesn't she? A really, really good performance. Yeah, by an actress that is that was her only like she that was her only part as June. As June, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, thinking, yeah. You yeah. haven't seen her play June before. Yeah, so yeah. just in a very in a very brief amount of time, embodying a lot of the sort of history of that character mm-hmm. and a lot of signaling a lot of the, her pain at things like. Um, her sort of little twinge at Angela just being like, I want to be a police officer. And yeah. she just kind of has this, it's just like this, it's happening again. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, I want to be sister night. And she's like, why? And just like, oh, she's just kind of like this, this really like sincerely pained look on her face yeah. that isn't like sort of overwrought or anything. Like this very subtle touch that just like, it's just like, oh, this is just a really good performance. And yeah. like by someone who's sort of just like swooped in and stepped into like another actress's shoes, Absolutely. just like without missing a beat. And just a really sweet scene anyway. It is, isn't it? Just this very little, like, nice ray of light in what's been a very, like, amidst a grim couple of hours. Yeah, I mean, hiring is, is, is not, is, is doing it justice. Um, yeah, lovely scene. And when she went down, I knew something was going to happen. It couldn't be all nice, could it? When she went down, I was like, okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. I didn't see that coming at all. I thought it was going to be nice for at least an episode or something. Yeah, especially because I think the show's been very coy about, so many things that I figured that oh maybe Angela came back to Tulsa like sooner than she had told us yeah. and I was like yeah. ah, that's that I suppose that would make a lot of sense she seems like a very she keeps things close to the chest and it's like oh uh. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like because I love that bit where um she's talking to Lady True's I would say daughter but let's say mother um yeah. and she <laughs> oh, we'll God, that. Yeah. and she is asking her what she's thinking of and she mentions um riding a pony does she say on on her 10th birthday she's still kind of not even giving anything away she's just always guarded angela is a lover she's just so great because earlier in the season i think when 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 laurie blake kind of came into it in episode 3 and then suddenly we had lady true in episode 4 and mm. all this other stuff started happening i guess Part of me was like, Angela feels kind of like small fish in a big pond, mm. if you see what I mean, because there's just so much other stuff going on. And suddenly you had like 
members of the Crime Busters there and all these people we have from the comics and stuff. And then suddenly you're just like, no, not at all. Like, she is fucking key to just everything that's going on. And I couldn't believe the show managed to compound that even more. Like, at this point, yeah. at this point, it, um, I suppose this is something we'll get to later, but at this point, it's just, the, it's like the entire universe revolves around her and yeah. in a way that feels completely organic, I think. Mm. Because that's it. When she's walking around Lady True's uh, towers or whatever, and she's like so confused and everything, and but she, and then and then obviously the final scene we'll talk about. But she is just kind of like, I want to just watch it all back, knowing now what I know after this episode. This one, it's one of them, isn't it? Yeah, it makes you reassess. Maybe my favorite. I think it's my favorite visual gag of the show so far. This happens like in the in the sort of earlier instances of her walking around the tower, right? Right. Um, when she she leaves her room yeah. and she goes to try and talk to William and she breaks the panel because she's on her way to sort of talk about the elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, fact yeah. that she's hooded justice and then she opens the door and then there's a literal elephant <laughs> in the room that <laughs> she's dying to. It's like, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Let's do it. Why not? Let's talk about the elephant in the room. What the hell? Amazing. Come on. <laughs> it's so good. If, you, if someone said to you, they pause it there and they went, right, you've got, Ten guests. <laughs> <laughs> Write them out. Would a would giant elephant have been one of them? No. No. Okay. What about you, Jack? Absolutely not, no. I would have said every character in the Watchmen book before Before that, yeah. And then I probably would have said a couple of animals before an elephant as well. Yeah, right. I know. Um, so why, okay. was there an, why is there an elephant in there? Well, I thought it was like a gag on an elephant never forgets because... Obviously, she's going through all the the memory stuff. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That old thing, which is like, oh, an elephant never forgets. An elephant's memory's so good. So it felt like a weird play on that. Mm. But other than that, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> there is, there are no, there are no clues. Right? I've got a little Am theory. I? Oh god, <laughs> my theories are ridiculous, man. So Here we go. Basically, you know when um she says I'm Lady True, and Lady True explains, you know. Not everything, but a lot of stuff to her about how she wants to save the world. And Angela's like, uh, so you want to do, you know, and then she's like, when you say it like that, it's ridiculous. But then she explains to her about her daughter actually being her mother, a clone that she's harvested. And she's doing it because she wants to, she says, I want my parents to see me enact my plan or my life's work. And she says, it's your dad too. I think her dad's the elephant. <laughs> <laughs> That's my theory. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think it does the elephant. Okay. That's mad. This is big brain stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, this, this is why I love meme, which is just like, boom. <laughs> yeah, right, I know. Damon Lindelof, I will never guess what he's got in store for us. So I know it's probably not true. <laughs> but just, it's, just such a, it's just such a perfectly um, blunt and on the nose joke. Yeah, with the elephant in the room. But it's I like it's like so the, the skeletons in the closet again, isn't it? With 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 the KKK well, outfit. We'll probably have that next. Yeah, Judd skeleton. Let, let's talk about Angela waking up then. Uh, initially, I really love all the stuff that Lady True. Like we learned that she um, created nostalgia. I think we kind of had a feeling it was probably her who created that. And we see her explain on a news bulletin why she had to kind of take it out of manufacturing. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah. I think it was, was it that she made it or was it that Vite? In, there's like a lot of talk about her picking up Vite Industries. And I think I remember in the comics, lots, lots of talk about nostalgia. Right, and right, I can't right. remember if it was just like Vite's like fragrance that he was selling or right. if it was actually like the pills. And just to clarify, she did create them it was her yeah they're created by true industries according to ptpedia ptpedia oh. man and uh how it is it is in the comics and it is a perfume that vate sells but he sells it and it's supposed to bring back the smell 
It's supposed to elicit a longing for a rosy past that never really existed. Ah. Uh. So this just kind of takes it to a very literal level. Literal level. Um, the age of pharmaceuticals. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. Lindelof just kind of takes it one further, right? And it's like, here, have this. And it's got that moment where it's like, have a pleasant return to consciousness. It's just great, isn't it? The exact, pretty much the exact line I was going to pick up as well, yeah. Um, and so also the, um, the first line in the video just being like, so, you've taken someone else's nostalgia. <laughs> the sort of very, condesc- the very condescending, uh, like, of course, like something that Lady True has created is incredibly condescending, right? even in these sort of neutral tutorials. This is literally her voice. Looking at my notes, I just have the word PT just with two hearts next to it. Uh, <laughs> like nothing, nothing else. I love PD. it. Who confirms that Looking Glass is alive? We've got our Looking Glass confirmation, Jack. Were you, were you yelping for joy? Yeah, he is alive. I was as well. Not only is he alive, but he's actually butchered a lot of the 7K. Very happy he's still up for killing Nazis. Yep, yeah, right. I would have been very upset if they killed Tim Blake Nelson off screen. <laughs> I mean, it was. And, uh, all I'm sad about is that we didn't get to see him this episode because that's two episodes without him now. So I'm hoping that he's in the next one. He's right, a bit so of a wild card now, isn't he? Right. He's. I'm, I'm assuming. Okay. So theories on Looking Glass. Another theory. He's going to be a part of the the plot line that helps Laurie out of her situation. Ah, uh, that's that's a good theory. Hey, thank you. Uh, that theory feels like it's on this plane of existence. <laughs> <laughs> Quite true, quite true. But I, I really like that theory that he's going to help out Laurie because I don't think there's no way he's getting into true industries and going up the millennium. Well, no men are allowed up there, are they? Apart from Will. That's what we're told in the episode we, four. Yeah, we were told that a while we back. Which, was, which is why when Cal arrives, he's like, I want to speak to Andrew. I want to come up. And they're like, it can't be possible. Obviously now it's because they know. Well, I mean, I don't really know why. But... I was like, oh, it's because he's a bloke. He's not allowed up there. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> Completely bl- deterred me. You think he's not allowed up there because he's... I think that's something to do with it. They know he's D-Manhattan. Do they? they know, though? That's my... Yeah, I'm, but when, I'm when, clear uh, on that. When Lady True says you're not asking who it is, I suggest, I, I feel that's just that she, she knew. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's like, um, yeah. By the end of the episode, you kind of consider it as being a pretty open... Secret. So I imagine it's that she knows, and she and Angela catches on to mm-hmm. that. So if, if, like, no, so if she didn't know, if she didn't know before, in that very moment, she does, or at least has a very like kind of rock solid suspicion. But when you watched it, I mean, when I watched it, I thought Angela was just like, like, don't care, mm. don't, like, a bit like Laurie, like whatever you've got going on, don't tell me, I don't give a shit. And Angela's like, you're just like, God, I wish I could be like Angela and just not really give a shit. Just walk out and not be inquis- like be inquisitive about these things. I just love that he um, sort how clever the writing is in like sort of using our perception of Angela as someone who's quite flippant and sort of turning it against us in this just a completely insane way. But I am not sure if we are we ju- am I jumping the gun talking about doc, like Doc this early? Or? Okay, let's let me. I, mean, I have a quick I, question. I, I, jumping everyone. the gun, you go go. My question is: When did you know that Cal was Doctor Manhattan? That's a good question. When did the penny drop in the episode? I think just bri- like very briefly, like very close to it actually happening when she starts talking to him, just like basically briefly before she calls him John. Uh, mm. And then at which point I just kind of just like jaw was slack. Mm. <laughs> the show has been several steps ahead of me. Yeah. Lindelof, man. He just is that master. It's funny because there, there's been, at least with the thing with her to justice, that's something that I think a lot of people piece together just purely based on like how many things that the show 
has been laying out for us, but not just in sort of the literal facts of things, but also in a lot of the symbolism. And mm. then with Cal, he's been a fairly blank slate, just like a very reliable thing. So this is a much more sort of blindsiding twist for me. So I was just, I was bowled over by Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Like I, when Lady True said, you're, you're not interested in who it is, I was like, well, we've got to know who it is. So I was like running through all the male characters in my head or indeed female. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking, but I was like, it's got to be a man. And when she got home and she was acting so shifty, I was like, okay, something weird is happening with Cal, our boy Cal, who we were told episodes ago was in a car crash in Vietnam. So I was like, okay, we're going to find out about that in this episode. And then we learned he lost his memory. And then at that moment, I was like, okay, this is all a bit too convenient, isn't it? Just go and just get a great big, like, just, oh, God damn it. (laughs) But then it's like, oh, but no, she's going to just like, knock him dead and just like cut into his skull that was the shocker <laughs> that was the sh- like learning that he was dr manhattan is one thing but then seeing what she does to him is the next thing yeah you I, know? Th- I, I mean for me i think it was it felt like this episode lined up really nicely because there is that chat earlier where they say about him not remembering anything and the moment they said that i was like something sus here oh really but i did i, did, I didn't jump to Dr. Manhattan until they were walking around the orb and then they started talking about him and it was just like, oh shit. <laughs> it was kind of like just during that. So when the moment she said John, it was just like, ah, oh, fuck, we're really going here. We're really doing this. Like Damon just wants to take the comics and just go like, fuck you, Alan Moore. Um, so but he that, loves it. <laughs> yeah, we, think, yeah. we think we can't confirm that. Cannot confirm or deny whether Alan Moore likes that. We don't know him. But I imagine he fucking does, because yeah. I do. Um, <laughs> so I what, what's, what's the... Okay, so Angela, there's a lot of missing history here. Mm. How on earth can Cal be Dr. Manhattan? Who can say? <laughs> <laughs> Jack, any ideas? What on earth? It's a good question. <laughs> I just and don't know where to begin. I don't really know where to begin, because it means he must have come back to Earth. <laughs> at some stage and but it's implied that right that they had that chat when he was fully functioning dr manhattan right that he mm-hmm. must have they must have had like a backup plan for when some real shit went down angela was gonna wake him up at some stage so presumably they must have had in maybe when they were in Nam or somewhere Maybe they met, maybe he came down. I imagine he was probably stalking her because, you know, he was a he was a superhero. He is a superhero. Mm-hmm. He was a member of the Crime Busters. Like, he probably obviously worked out who Hooded Justice was and then maybe searched for someone who was related for, to him or Hooded Justice was doing something. You know, he's been coming up with a plan with True. Maybe he's just been coming up with a plan the whole time. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Man- Manhattan cottoned on to that. And then maybe found Angela somehow. And that's maybe where they met. And then from there... I think it's very interesting that they highlighted sort of the awful things that he's did as Dr. Manhattan Mm. before sort of revealing him to the world once again, where he's sort of viewed as a mass murderer. Well, he is a mass murderer. He is a mass murderer. And all of these things. Also, that sort of recontextualized with Joe Keane's mention of him. Yeah. I just think it's it's going to be very interesting waters to navigate... Like, what place does Dr. Manhattan have on the world, like, have in the world at this point? Yeah. Uh, one he's abandoned for a long time, not long after wiping a considerable amount of people off the face of it. Do you think he has regrets? 
about what he's done then. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Although, like, a lot of the comic was about him sort of losing his humanity to his great power. So I think it's very interesting that he is once again messing around with a much younger Earth lady. <laughs> I just want to know how they came to meet. But I, it's okay. So we're brushing over a lot of things. But we <laughs> learn that Laurie, Laurie finds out that Mrs. Crawford is an awful racist, just like I predicted. I predicted you did. that. I well didn't done. That. Didn't trust that woman at all. But then Laurie, she just sends her plummeting down a trap door. And Laurie's very stoic in the face of danger. But then Joe Keen who wants to talk through his plan let's talk through his plan yeah before we talk about joking's plan yeah, a very yeah, good yeah. moment when miss crawford is trying to activate the trap door and, and Laurie's she's like what are you doing and she's just like, like clicking this yeah. remote and it's and then it works maybe after the fourth after yeah. like the fourth button that was very funny if that was me though i'd be like okay something weird it felt very characteristic of Laurie's just very kind of like oh, tulsa is so weird i hate this place <laughs> like kind of attitude uh, towards um all of it and then yeah i feel like it's a it was very obvious that Cyclops still existed mm-hmm. in the form of the Seventh Cavalry. I like that it finally like kind of tied together that thread of like between the sort of the different forms of white supremacy that we've seen like throughout the series, like with the KKK and then uh, the Seventh Cavalry, and then the sort of police involved with them, and then the government involved with them, and then mm-hmm. the sort of secret sect Cyclops, and just like all of them sort of being tied together, just ma- basically hammering home the message that this same form of white supremacy that you saw then is very much alive in the now. Yeah. Yeah. And then you get to Senator Bob Benson's. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I can't see. <laughs> yeah. uh, his his kind of wild plan to pre like preempted with a lot of talk about how it's really hard being a white man oh, in these man, like yeah. trying times. Like this sort of very standard woe is me logic of racists. And so he says, why not try being blue? And so he wants to destroy Dr. Manhattan and become him, which is, to borrow a phrase from another show, not great, Bob. (laughs) (laughs) not not great bob and also very 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 unexpected turn of events yes when you first meet joe keen all these uh episodes ago you just don't think for a second that in five episodes time he's going to unveil this crazy wild plan involving dr manhattan in such a big way i was always under the impression that a lot of what his plan involved was upending veit's supposed utopia in order to create a position for himself but not kill God and become him. <laughs> no, <laughs> Not quite as far as... God. I didn't think it would be a seizure of power quite on that level. Yeah. Um, so, I'm again, I'm glad that the show has more up its sleeve than I anticipated. I, for one, wouldn't mind seeing a giant blue Bob Benson, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the implications would be horrible. Yeah, I was going to say, would it be good for the... Uh, for for the, the world then, yeah, within it, which he inhabits? Um, I just quite like this thing because it is... Laurie's gone through exactly what we've all gone through watching the show and she kind of comes up with these ideas and says them and you're just like yeah that's what I was thinking that's what I was thinking this is I think (laughs) my main problem with this episode is that it takes a lot of stuff that that's my only problem I think but it's obviously delivered in a really wry funny way um by Jean Smart Mm. in the conversation that she's having with Miss Crawford about her talking about ah like um so Hood of Justice is black. That changes everything. And talking about how uh, white men and masks are superheroes and mm. uh, black men and masks are scary. Mm. Like a, a thing that is very much an idea that is implicit in uh, episode six, but then it's sort of um, articulating these ideas out loud. And I think that's fair to like kind of have a character sifting through a lot of like 
a lot of information yeah. to sort of reestablish like a sort of base for viewers. And then it's cut off. It, all of this is cut off in a very funny way, but I yeah. think it felt a little bit out of character for the show to be quite that didactic about it was, its point. It was a very convenient and very, it was like this residual effect of, of oh, Angela just rambled all of the key information. That was very good. I, mean, yeah, I really I liked that touch. That is great. It's funny. She's just there just saying what this recording that she's just fast forwarding through on the tape. Great. Yeah. Isn't she this like confession via a woman who has consumed the memories of the person who committed it or whatever. It's, it's just an in, ingenious twist. I thought, yeah, that was like, a, I think that was really clever. I think that was just my one reservation about Agreed. the episode as well. But then the thing is it snaps back into its mode of like taking those ideas and expanding them. Mm. Like it, it kind of gets back on that track so fast that it's, it's over in like the blink of an eye. So yeah. it's not really something that I can like knock it for that yeah, much sure it yeah. does feel like that moment of like if you're not caught up to speed here you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just a record scratch yeah exactly <laughs> it's a yeah it's a bit like for people who probably don't think about it quite as much as us like yeah so last week's episode was very important and yeah. relevant <laughs> by the way yeah. Uh, yeah it did feel i think because the show is so not done that before it did feel a bit kind of like out of place you're completely right i think it's just because it's maybe the show is been characteristically very murky and thorny to sort through in terms of its ideas like sort of the things like um, in the first episode it has a stop and a shooting at a stop and search but it involves a black cop so it's like all of these very intentional complications that makes it difficult to read things one way or another Mm -hmm. and now things are very much one way yeah um which is fine and good because it's i think in service of a very good stringent point but at the same time it did feel a little bit unlike what the, the kind of tone that the show has settled into. Yeah. So it was a little bit jarring, but I don't think necessarily bad. It yeah. was functional. I fear it might, if it anything. might happen again. Like, I remember the uh, this, in terms of the way the story's being told and the um, ordering in which we're getting the revelations, it does remind me of, um, did you watch The Leftovers? I have watched very little of the very leftovers. Little. I think you'd adore it, firstly. I yeah. have a really big feeling about that, like from this show, because everyone keeps telling me it's oh, so much like the leftovers. Like then the, ep- the episode with like that goes into Looking Glasses Past, like a yeah. big leftover en- energy, I've been told. Which Absolutely. I feel like sort of picked up on a little bit. The sort of weird occurrence, just the sort of weird occurrences, things with animals. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is so much overlap there, and it's it's so fun to see and spot them. Um and even like the whole idea of like the messiah, this or this messianic fi- figure, is a big part of the leftovers in the later season. And the question, um, and the questioning of said figure, I'm just sort of hazarding a guess. Absolutely. And this whole thing of why are we walking around like nothing, like nothing's fucked like up, like squid falling <laughs> out just, of the yeah, sky. Yeah, yeah. Like we're we're just walking around and like we're just like taking this stuff and yeah, like this very this everyone's very relaxed with the circumstance that they should absolutely not be absolutely should, people should be raging about. But I suppose it comes back to like this is a, a bit of a tangent which I feel like you guys have probably talked about before, but like how it's very indicative of how much Watchmen as a text has informed um, Lindelof's work mm-hmm. um, just mm-hmm. in the structure of how The Leftovers will take these sort of one character at a time approaches like big events will happen maybe rewind a bit and then like elaborate on how what a character and why they end up, ended up somewhere I haven't seen last um, <laughs> so. it's, 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 it's like that on a, on a um, I guess it, it tries to be like that where it can Honest, yeah, on yeah. A, just so like on it, you can see like at least on a structural level where Watchmen has informed him, and mm. it was a pleasant surprise when I dug the book out again to read it before the show started, and I looked. It was a 
the 2009 edition that came out that was re-released when and the quote and the quote on the back just being like maybe one of the greatest pe- pieces of pop culture ever written yeah. it's just, of course it's like, so that's why I read it it's like, it like we were <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. a decade later it was like um, it's like in Christopher Nolan's first film following where there's um, in, in a room on his friend's apartment there's like a Batman logo or something and it's like oh okay that's funny that is, that's a good twist I mean Damon said that so I, I interviewed him last week and he said that, you know, HBO approached him three times to do the show as well. And he said no twice. <laughs> I feel no, like any sane person would say no at just, least yeah. once. <laughs> but just is, say no. He is completely nailing it because it, it feels the same tone. Like structurally it feels the same, but also even in what it's dealing with, like, you know, Watchmen, the comic dealt with the feeling of the time with Cold War and stuff. And mm. then this is just dealing with the biggest issue in America right now, you know, with racism, with someone like Trump in office. You've got someone who's just so terrible, who's president. And now this show's giving you someone who's so terrible, who wants to be president as well. Mm. I think it's also uh, very astute in how it doesn't really quite let like sort of liberals off the hook as well. So there's a lot of, well, there's a lot of things about people who are very well-meaning in Watchmen, but are still very blind to various prejudices and like i mean it's a democratic government run by robert redford (laughs) (laughs) who is enacting fairly fascist policies uh or at least enabling them in like with a fairly blind eye in tulsa with the sort of the way the police forces are unfolding Mm. even on that line with the 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 masks like especially in the early episodes i felt like and and it has been doing it since kind of putting out that maybe masks in any form, just aren't good. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, they're the police as well. But then you're like, well, the police are the good guys, but are they the good guys? And then Sister Knight, like, she's obviously a good guy, but then, you know, the, the means she has, especially in the first episode where she beats up the guy to get the info, it's like, I remember when, when we were talking about it and I was like, I wish she was above that, above kind of like beating someone up for information because I feel like as if you were like a black and white good guy, mm then you, would, you wouldn't do that so much. But then that person deserves it. I don't know where I fall, you know. I think it's very much in line with Moore's sort of anarchist politics or like that are pretty much on display in Watchmen as well. This idea that um, the ability to commit violence, no matter how just just like doesn't really belong in the hands of anyone. <laughs> so it's sort of this very, I'd say a very strong anti-police viewpoint like it sort of sees it as an inherently violent arm. i mean it's a, it's you, you have the arm of the law and sort of the um trust in the law trust in the law trust like the yeah law. and this this it sort of takes these attitudes that like oh they're cops so they must be good guys and it turns it and it um i think wields it to persuade people that might sort of automatically think otherwise to be that they should rightly be suspicious of people who wield power in an inherently violent profession yeah and then also and then what watchman does is sort of in the book at least it, i think it compounds that by relating it to through superheroes who are all damaged in one way or another yeah absolutely i think i've taken a step a bit of a no, tangent no, no, so sorry i was gonna say one thing before that i, I want to say before i forget relating to what we were talking about was um did you um like I think Damon is is doing this in a subtle way, but in episode six, you know the um, guy who burns down the deli or, or whatever, and he and he keeps cropping up. But that, that the guy who burns down the Jewish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, his name is Fred T, um, and his story, his background bears uh, a lot of similarity to that of Donald Trump's father, Fred. 
I was reading. I oh, I think I saw something yeah, about this. I would, quite interesting. I would not put it past and the writing staff to like have that be the case. There were like a few, sure. I read a, a biography and it was like, okay, this is very. Simple. Can you elaborate on that? Sorry, I don't. I don't really know about this. Um, just he he ended up um, working in a. Is it a watch? Uh, no, what shop was it? That he ended up working in. It's like a cigar shop or something. Just right. the, the trade he had was very similar to Fred Trump's back in the day, and he's called Fred T. Mm, interesting. It's quite interesting. I would not put it past them. It probably. It feels like it is. It feels like, <laughs> and it feels like not even out of place. It would be the right timing. I mean, it's yeah. just really quite fun. You can imagine it go. What if? And then you're like, oh my god, it fits with the timing. Let's just do it. Considering it's like evocation of like real world figures, like very, like just by like naming names. Yeah, uh, yeah. Robert Redford is president. I mean, mm-hmm. I wouldn't put it past them to just like have that be the case. But I think it's definitely in, in the show's favor that it's not just engaging with sort of Trumpism mm. and like sort of. I think the difference between that and you know the racism that has always existed, the type of racism that has always existed in modern day America, is just like this very sort of popularized nature at an official level mm. and i think the show engages with that through senator keen but then it's it's just i think it's better that it does it without invoking trump's name because that sort of you know you're just kind of carbon dating it when you do things like that yeah because um, yeah. it, do, it does feel it, it honestly doesn't feel like you're watching trump's america you're watching watchmen's america yeah that happens to be led at this time by robert redford i think um, there are, there are things like in the scene where you have keen in it here and he, he says that comment like it's hard to be a white man in America mm. and that's something I feel like you've seen a lot from you know like on like Breitbart or something like that would definitely be on yeah. there. The like false victim, false victimhood and um, complaining that is so often, uh, the sort of complaints that are so often um, levied against um, people on the left and those sort of things yeah. Yeah. just you know there's like there's the same it's the same talking points but coming yeah. from a man who looks like a person and not a i don't know mashed potato yeah no exactly <laughs> yeah exactly a guy who's who literally is hoping to be president as well i think my my one question would be and why... also god correct my my one question would be like why has he brought along lorry for this ride like I, I get that he, I get that that he wants to capture the guy she was banging, but at the same time, it like doesn't really feel like Laurie's she, boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, like she's got, you know, there's a bit of history there. But at the same time, it's like why, why risk having her there and her, you know, she's uncovering stuff, and the chances are that like having her is going to lead to the downfall of this thing, right? Mm. There's no way that this show's going to end with it all suddenly being like hunky-dory for the white racists. It's going to surely... Let's hope not. Surely Laurie and whoever's going to help her is going to bring down... Like, well, at least like from the inside on that side. Obviously, yeah. you've got Angela and Lady True who are doing their own thing and that's going to work its way as well. But surely this links So you're thinking, because Laurie obviously got captured, do you reckon they could have just like taken her away? And not, not, well, not I don't know. Like Keen was the one who invited her along in like episode three to mm. like to investigate Tulsa. Tulsa. Mm. So I'm just It makes me why. wonder if it's part of the plan or just kind of simple hubris, like he just gets to toy with her specifically. Um, yeah. A bit like he did with Looking Glass in a way. Just to like manipulate him to, to kind of just get Angela out of the equation, hopefully. Because I thought, okay, so why why did he get Looking Glass in? Why did they send that woman after him? Why did they, you know But that was all to get Angela arrested. And it was all to get Angela arrested and I realised that but I, I was thinking there's gotta be some bigger plan here for him. Mm. But maybe he is literally now, his story is to save the day. 
I'd love well, it if he's open. Yeah, but you know. I think it's, uh, yeah, just to save just to Laurie, save Laurie, at least. Yeah. I'm just remembering, I think, um, like we were, ta- we were talking about the episode sort of addressing of the things about Hooded Justice. I just remembered the line by Joe Keen where he just goes, Hooded Justice, didn't see that coming. <laughs> it's the, it's sort of very sort of um, nonchalant approach to it. He just kind of like shrugs it off. It's yeah. very, very aggravating, but also kind of perfect. Yeah. Like, um, sort of meta commentary I thought it was very funny exactly and, do, and then yeah. back to and then sort of Laurie's um, f- equally flippant thing just being like I'm so tired of all this silliness like yeah. it's just so clearly done with all the superhero because when you first see her she's literally like like people were like he's a hero she's like no he's not he's a fucking idiot or whatever yeah. it's like just, nothing has changed there she's kind of just like thrown back into it again just yeah. resisting so hard like even when he's just like about to give her the monologue and she just, just gives the hardest sight please spare me <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? But we've got to assume that there's a night owl out there in prison somewhere that she's hoping to... I am still wondering about that because they've addressed two of the most major figures of Watchmen's conclusion. Something I I, want to quickly talk about in a second. But I I have a feeling that they will at least reach out to Dryberg in some way, but I'm not sure it's... I feel like he's not someone we're going to see until, like, I don't know, later... On. However, like, however, like, like two minutes before the end <laughs> maybe just to see him just like kind of chilling in just prison chilling like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah what were we going to say you wanted to there but was we were just wondering yeah. about like because we were like talking about how this might like possibly end well for anybody and yeah. I've just been wondering about um, whether Lindelof is going to want to aim for any kind of catharsis in his ending which as we know is something that doesn't really exist in Watchmen the comic there's mm. just like there's not there's not even the satisfaction of beating Adrian to a pulp he went he went he Adrian. wins he's quote unquote right yeah. um even though he's absolutely not and he's monstrous yeah, but um, yeah. and even he is denied the sort of satisfaction of resting easy in that the piece he's created may even last like that's kind of undone by Manhattan so i feel i have a feeling that like there's I hope that they're going to manage something equally sort of devilish in its conclusion. But at the same time, there's so much about Angela's history and mm. now this mm. purported history with Dr. Manhattan mm. that just makes me wonder. I feel like whatever's going to happen, Angela is going to be at the center of it. Um. But I just wonder like what kind of thing that's going to take, considering that it's a show about racism. Maybe she'll become Dr. Manhattan. I was thinking, <laughs> maybe she will. Who, know, who knows? Maybe I've, she I, will. I have a feeling like a modern watchman might end with a black woman becoming God. That wouldn't yeah. be so bad, right. I guess. But Do then you... at the same time, I wonder if that would be sort of antithetical to a watchman adaptation in which everyone failed 35 minutes 35 ago. Minutes. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> the interesting thing for me is if they kill off some of the, uh, the original characters, because that would be really fucking Van Moore's Yeah. Work. Have we talked about Vate yet? We haven't. We are. We are. Every week we're just like, oh yeah, they. <laughs> What's Adrian? And this week in yeah. Adrian's corner. <laughs> so ridiculous. He did a big fart. Yeah. yeah. Quickly on the ending. I mean, the, the one thing we haven't really spoken about since was, but that, like, Will Reeves only wanted Angela to get the memory slowly, mm. and also wanted her to have that so she would understand their plan which implies that the plan is not going to be like agreeable with her ethos. Mm-hmm. So right. I think like whatever this millennium clock is doing, which is another thing we are, you know, we haven't even touched on, but that is a huge thing that's just about to happen. Mm. Surely like something fucking big is going to, I don't, I don't have, I have no idea what no it idea. does, but it feels like if, if he needed to get Angela on board with that, then it's not going to be 
good f- all round or there's going to be something questionable about it. I don't mm-hmm. know what. Like, you know, because if it, if it was simply something that suddenly like, you know, they clicked a switch and then all the racists died, fine, that's great. Mm. But... Get and lose it, we're ending racism. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're ending racism. Okay. Mm. But it feels like that, like that can't, that's not going to happen. There's like no way like this clock, whatever it does, is suddenly going to be able to pick out everyone yeah. who's had racist thoughts you. and kill them. Maybe it's like, just no, a big so. clock. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, you know what? It would be the biggest <laughs> anticlimax, but maybe. <laughs> it's just, just a really big clock that provides the time. But, you never know. But yeah, I th- I, I, there's got to be some way to talk about a big clock in the 35 minutes thing. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. I'm not a TV writer. <laughs> I think uh, we should talk about Adrian Vite. Yes. Okay. The people v Adrian Vite. Day 365. So he has been really, yeah. What? I was going to say, I was going to say quickly that that, that confirms that every episode for Adrian Vite has been a year apart, which, so now we're seven years. We've seen seven years of his life. Go on. Oh, yeah. Was it seven years? I Wait, thought it was... I thought is, it meant it just, like, all of the events of the past episodes were across one year, but I suppose that makes more sense considering the I didn't so size of the task. Damon clarified this in an interview somewhere. I think right. it was Collider or somewhere, that every Adrian Veidt scene in this show has been a year apart. That's really interesting. Oh, uh, okay. okay. I was going to say that. I was, like, um, I was quite thrilled by the revelation that it was in... Um, a much more like a decompressed timeline than I initially thought because I was just like, wow, this guy has these just crazy weeks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> in his glorious paradise. Yeah, <laughs> so ridiculous. Well, what? Okay, let's talk about this. What's your thoughts about this and how it's going to relate to anything? <laughs> well, I suppose we'll get to his defense in a bit, but I, <laughs> I, I thought the trial was very fascinating. The you shall not leave. Hmm. The creation of it as a supposed prison it makes me wonder about what kind of prison puts someone on trial <laughs> um, if they're already jailed if they're literally jailed yeah so i think it interest it adds a very interesting complication to mm. that dynamic because the overriding theory being oh he's in a space prison or something and i just yeah i, I was kind of sitting there wondering just like what kind of what kind of jail is this <laughs> <laughs> what kind of jail is it i i mean i'm still flummoxed i thought i had a bit of a uh, i could have put my finger on it a little bit in episode five um i thought he was like kind of maybe put there by redford after redford watched the tapes when he was uh inaugurated and was like um we need to put this war criminal in you know away so it's kind of this thing that he was creating that's now been turned against him that's what we were saying before and then he sent him to sundance (laughs) (laughs) which is a hell um i've actually never been to sundance i can't i I hear the air is thin yeah yeah uh so yeah what do you what do you reckon jack i don't i i don't know i mean you're right, everyone's been talking about it being a prison, but I mean, something you mentioned actually when you were theorizing about it was yeah. that it's like a utopia of some description that it, you know, he created perhaps somewhere for him to go and it maybe it ties into the nostalgia pills in some way that maybe he's just somehow found a way for it to make him, put him in like another place that he's inadvertently trapped in but that can't be the case because he physically travels to the to like the moon. Yeah. to a, a moon outside oh. of i think that the the planet was confirmed as th- i can't remember begin it's th thera thea it's, it's some crazy planet way way out and he's trapped just outside of it so <laughs> I, but how the fuck did he get there did manhattan slash cal put him out there cow which is like <laughs> crazy to think cow. that just... i love please I, my friends call me cow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
I, just, I love this cow twist so much. Oh, we haven't really gone into like detail on it, but yeah, we'll get there, I guess. I do like that it's basically turned, it's turned basically, essentially what's like just a boyfriend part into maybe one of the most pivotal. No, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. It feels like there's just like no unimportant roles in mm. this, Yeah, which has been, because he's, he's just kind of existed at the sidelines with the children. He's been like concerned husband and it's just, I think it's just a fantastic way to utilize him as a performer. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, I think, no. I, I think, I think, Cal is gonna. His story is gonna bleed in with Vites in a in a big way. I think it has to, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, I'm very interested to see in how um, Cal's kind of. He's a very passionate person. He's a very passionate, focused person. Whereas Doctor Manhattan in the comics, he was just like you know, he was every. He was literally everywhere at once. Yeah. His whole storyline is about him losing his grip on humanity, and now he has taken the form of a very wholesome family man yeah. who has his head on straight, and he's like very. You know, he's uh, very direct in his life, doesn't want, doesn't want his kids to believe in God or anything. Yeah. Which is, you know, nice little hints of stuff that... That's true. You know, Dr. Manhattan probably would have said. Yeah. Just being like, oh, there is no such thing as God. There's like creation was this and this and this. I was there or something like that. Yeah. Uh, the sort of, But I'm interested to see in how like the kind of cold logic of Dr. Manhattan has maybe softened. Uh, which would be interesting. That I, would be an interesting way, way just to catch up with the character. Yeah. yeah. He would have been disappeared for like 40 years yeah, at this yeah, point. Yeah. And then again, um, very funny to me that he is once again, uh, he's kind of upending humanity's very existence because he is going out with a younger woman <laughs> yet again, yeah, again. which I, I really wonder how Laurie is going to react to that. I wonder that. Case, considering that she was previously the, like, in the comic, he is a bad, like, you know, um, war crimes aside, mm. he's a bad person. Yeah. He gets with Laurie when she's about 16. So, like, so she's, um, his wife at the time very rightly tells him that he is chasing jailbait. Yeah. And so I'm interested to see in how this plays out with how people react to it and how the show reacts to him being a <laughs> immortal jailbait chaser. Yeah. And yeah. then how Laurie reacts to the fact that Angela has been with him and it ties ties laurie and angela together again because obviously both their grandparents or in laurie's case her parents laurie's parents were in the minutemen and Mm. angela's grandpa was also in the minutemen Mm. you know they already have that tie and now they've got this where they've both had the same boyfriend for a you know for however long i mean husband she married him. Married yeah, him. husband, yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought this when they were talking in the car all those episodes ago? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, exactly. the life was going to so change. So we, we both dated God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the thing is, yeah, there's this the way that these two are just kind of inextricably linked without realizing it. And then also kind of without being in each other's presence very much. They're sort of constantly yeah. in, in each other's orbit, mm. but never, there's, they'll occasionally interact and it'll never be it'll never be much of anything Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's always it always feels like some kind of very one-sided conversation so i'm i'm interested to see what this development brings to their interactions it's genius storytelling in that way just because it's been so subtle them and you you thought that their kind of relationship was absolutely one thing and again i just want to go back watching it knowing what i know i keep saying that but i do across every level of the characters this should be kids as well yeah I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, the show's gonna be amazing to rewatch. Oh, like yeah. after it's all finished in just two weeks' time, just going back and kind of like pe- knowing everything and kind of piecing it all together and yeah. seeing how all these grand plans like come together and all the the subtle hints, especially you know even looking back when we were talking about 
hooded justice last week and like all the clues that were there all along, but we were just too stupid to understand. I know. I, I feel like I've been saying from the start that this show, it's so difficult to write about because every week you are either, like you might say something that is either completely contradicted or just being like, of course that's what's happening, you dummy. <laughs> like, yeah. which, so, which means it's going to play very differently as a whole than yeah. it does week to week, which is really exciting. Um, we just don't have it like this anymore really tv shows that are doing this appointment television yeah um, gotta love it gotta love it um let's go back to vite very <laughs> yeah that let's guy just, let's just let's just uh tie off the vite stuff uh, the verdict let's talk about vite's verdict um what do you make of this scene um he's uh yeah found guilty by a pig but also he, he, i mean, <laughs> I I mean that's, that's that. one thing but then other things go on what does anyone have any particular views or theories about certain um moments in this scene he was good at fighting on cue. Very was, good at fighting uh, on cue. That was a big one as well. The long old one. Um, Legend, legendary actor Jeremy Irons just <laughs> ripping a fart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. That um, was like the best of them. Yeah. It's incredible that he agreed to do this. Yeah. Like, the whole thing has got to be a sound effect, surely. Yeah. The whole thing's <laughs> been wild. You would think it's a sound effect, wouldn't you? <laughs> He's a professional. He is a professional. <laughs> he, yeah. Character I, actor. <laughs> Emmy for Irons. I, uh, the whole scene is batshit. Yeah. Like they just get progressively more batshit. You don't think they can be topped and then boom. I think it's the sort of deranged anger coming from Vite himself then then it sort of is reflected back at him by a room full of clones. <laughs> just <laughs> and I wonder uh, part of me wonders about the sort of hierarchy to like the sort of the um what to the Miss, Crookshanks? Yeah, the, <laughs> Mr. Phillips and Ms. Crookshanks yeah. the um sort of being the citizens and then the huntsman fellow mm. being what well, i'm pretty sure he's just another he's another one of the clones but i wonder if he's a guy you know if he's a clone with tenure like he's been around he's been around the block for a minute um, a clone of tenure like and, that. and he's just um so I, I wonder about the hierarchy of things and why one why it's him in charge um two why a courtroom Again, if it's a prison, like yeah. lending further credence to the utopia theory, I wonder if it's Vite kind of, um, they seem to sort of serve his every whim. Mm. And then there's this one sort of j very jaded man who is like, you suck, you're not allowed to leave. Literally, like you're not allowed to go. Your one rule is don't leave and you are trying to. Very, ma very much the, the, I don't know, the cadence of a man who has realized that a potential sort of, I, I guess maybe a God sort of person mm. is just kind of this fallible, like old git. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this is a, a quick tangent. Yeah. Absolutely incredible dissolve leading into the moment. Yeah. The when, eyes. Yes. yes. When it sort of the camera sort of moves around from looking at Angela in profile while she's talking to um, Lady True's daughter, mother, daughter, mother. <laughs> um, we haven't even spoken about the daughter, mother yet. Sorry. We have. Yeah. Twice. No, but we mentioned it, but we, I guess but we haven't talked about it. We haven't gone in deep on it. Studying. Fair but um, kind of the camera moves around in from being Angela in profile to like her looking directly at the camera, and then the the stained glass from the church appears in her eyes, and I it just like has this perfect Absolutely dissolve great, into that it? scene, and it's just it just looks the show looks so incredible. All yeah. of the all of the links, all of the the the, the cuts or links between the Vite scenes and what's going on in Tulsa have been have been really cool and I've been trying to call them when they arrive like okay I think now is when now oh no oh now is and, it's know. the Adrian fight power hour yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> it literally is like that let's talk about the mother daughter then at, uh, at length what's I mean what's new what's I just, I'm just wondering because obviously there's cloning going on with Vape 
We see um, little um, looking glasses, ex-wife cloning doggies. We saw the doggies being cloned a while back, and now we're seeing humans also being cloned. Does this have something to do with the whole kind of form of cow? Because I'm trying to think now, like, who, who created cow? I thought Docs Manhattan would have created... Oh, I guess. I mean, I think he can reassemble himself like on a molecular level, so it right. might just be the case that he, just, he just decided became... to be black. Really, really, really yeah, black, but also <laughs> really attractive, yes. muscular man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just, just lost... Like, if anyone can do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I am glad he's been given something to do more than just like read stories. This is uh, Yaya's year. Yeah, it is Yaya's you know, year. It's yeah. this breakthrough, massive breakthrough with us and... He was in Aquaman as well, which he I haven't was. seen. You deserve it, King. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, um, the, the, the creepy performance from that young girl. Yeah. Very, I, very creepy. I, I feel like, is that, there's, they wouldn't put the cloning stuff in there without it surely being something bigger. Well, I think... And with the big plan that Lady True's kind of coming up plan. with. So like, Chekhov's mother-daughter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I honestly think it's just got something to do that it just links Vate with... True, and how True kind of over co-opted and overtook kind of Vate's, um, not legacy, but a lot of his ideas and the company when he got banished to wherever it is he, wherever it, wherever he, he is. That's what I think. I don't know. I don't know. I can't see cloning being a big. I don't know. I feel like it's just been it's been hinted at a few times through the show. It's a legacy with terms of mother daughter. Yeah, <laughs> you know, just, just the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, there is that. But I mean, like even like the Yaya stuff, like yeah. uh, Cal. You know, it was so subtly put in there, and cloning's been kind of like subtly hinted at throughout. I feel mm. like it's cause there's going to be like next episode will end with something. Attack of the clones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, true's uh, Emperor Palpatine, and uh, she's been planning. Uh, Hit that Order sixty six button. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the thing with Lady True's mum, I suppose it just kind of ties back into this whole thing about both family legacy and the sort of far-reaching roots of trauma, like sort of things that sort of echo across generations and in this it's almost like a closed loop in which she survived like horrors in vietnam gave birth to her daughter died mm. and then her daughter passed that trauma back from her mother through herself through back to her mother again and it's just this kind of awful closed loop yeah um, and i just it's fascinating and but i think it's something that sort of exists at the fringes of the episode so it's kind of hard to pick apart but um i love that idea though i love that idea I just don't know if we're going to be able to delve into it with two episodes to go in a big way. It makes me wonder, again, what the hell Lady True's endgame would be if she's inherited both the sort of ideals and resources of both Ozymandias and Angela's grandfather, Will. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she's very much on the team, I would not. I would not like the white supremacists to become Doctor Manhattan. Yes. Um, So it makes me wonder, like where she's going to aim, I don't know, her mighty works, as um, one Ozymandias would say. Mighty works for Lady True. I think she's on the side for good. I hope so. You didn't like her for a long time. I didn't. I didn't think so. You're right. I really like, um, I really like Hong Chao's performance. I I sort of love her very blunt. um, (sighs) Gives you a shit. Yeah. Yeah. And and she she has this just very elven appearance as well. Just sort of her ears just kind of like (laughs) like peeking out from behind her hair. Yeah. yeah, Um, yeah. I just think it just looks like, I think it's a very fascinating contrast to someone like Vite who sort of built and modeled himself after like, a great conqueror. Yeah, I know. She's great. She she is great. Um, the final scene when Angela 
Um, gets the hammer out. Gets, yeah, uh, gets the hammer out. And then worms her way into, into Cal's skull. And then she pulls out, what do we call that? It's not the, hydro- it's not the hydrogen symbol like on his forehead, but it's so, sort of something similar to that. Yeah. Um, just the sort of the dot it's within like a, the circle. Yeah, so it's like an orb she's got now. Like a yeah. Little, a little orb. God, she's going to be targeted if people knew she had that. Yeah, and the fact that the, her house instantly lights up <laughs> when, yeah. when he sort of reemerges again. Is he going to look like Cal under that, or are we going to have... Oh, that's a good question. ...another actor playing... Because we've never seen um, Dr. Manhattan's face in the show, really, apart no. from a, it's like a cardboard cut-out illustration. Yeah. I mean, Yaya's got the body for it. Yeah, will he just stay as Yaya? I hope so. But will he hang <laughs> Blue Dong? Good, it's all, the, all good the, questions. The most important <laughs> questions <laughs> that people, I think, have been like questions, like wondering about. Since, are we going to see Dog Man Hands? We've seen Blue Dong before. It was painted Blue Dong. Painted Blue Dong. But we did see it before, and so I have high hopes <laughs> for seeing more. We have high. I have high hopes as well. Um, the next uh, episode is a penultimate episode. What are your views, expectations, hopes, and dreams? World peace. Um, <laughs> very excited for it to delve more into sort of the relationship between Cal and Angela. Yes. I would hope that that is where we're going to go. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe a good flashback episode on Cal. That yeah. would be fun just to see, see a bit more of like his and through him, Angela's past, their kind of relationship and that. how that's going to develop and play into well there is a lot of missing history that i would like filled in yeah but we've only got two hours i know that's it that means if it's a flash episode episode nine is the finale is going to be a pedal to the metal insane roller coaster ride that i'm not sure any of us are ready for i have a feeling that hbo might stretch the running time of that last one a little Uh, bit i mean they've taken um the first episode was was 90 minutes yeah i think and as with these ones i think they've proven very adept at packing in a lot of story into like a pretty tight hour so i think that they might expand if they if that's like the last that time the very last time they're gonna have length. like feature length. <laughs> feature length feature length feature length who's been um who's been your highlight of the like in terms of performance wise oh it's um it's regina regina king. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean isn't it yeah regina king yeah i don't really I, think there's much in it i think for me the big surprise has been tim blake nelson just because i've never really rated him before um, as a dramatic actor, Com- comedic actor, sure, he's great. But in this, he's like he's kind of heartbreaking. Also, um, as the the one native Tulsan in the tar- in the cast, I think that's kind of a very nice touch. Like this, right. letting his uh, accent because kind of there's a shine lot. Of, he's got a re- few real interesting. There's one line where he says something like, um, uh, "Talking about Judd," and she's like, "He's a he's a white man in Tulsa. Of course, he's racist or whatever." And it's like, "But Looking Glass, you're not, are you? <laughs> I hope you're not, anyway, because I was worried for a while, wasn't I?" Yeah, um, I I really liked his him as a sort of very different continuation of Rorschach. There's so many parallels drawn between the two of them, like with the with the um, sort of opaque mask mm. and it's like s- symbolism of mirroring and the be- the eating of, of beans. <laughs> um, <laughs> the eating of the beans. The eating beans. Um, <laughs> and things like his sort of what seems like a similarly like objectivist worldview because you know Rorschach was basically pa- created as a parody of a Steve Ditko character called Mr. A right um and he's sort of this very different form where he's like very a- apolitical and when it comes to things like racism but then he has this very these very clearly defined I think he's been really great at sort of 
Absolutely. Really, yeah. Yeah, they've done an astounding job with him, really. What about you, Jack? I think it... it I, I just want you to say Gene Smart. I know you love Gene. I do I do really love Gene, but I think <laughs> I think she would probably come underneath um, yeah. underneath Tim Bay Nelson and Regina. Yeah. She's like number three. Mm. And then um, Hong Chow, is that her name? Lady yeah. Trude. Mm. Then her, probably after that. Because I think they're... But then... Jeremy Irons has been having a meal. Jeremy Irons <laughs> is having such a good time. It's really hard to like it's measure hard. them all up. It's an because, amazing And cast. then you've also got Louis Gossett Jr. as yeah. uh, Will Reeves. Which, and he's just like, when he's been in it, he's been great. Even the guy who played Judd, uh, Don... Don Johnson. Don Johnson. Donny Johnson. He yeah. was really good as well. Like Everyone's brought their A game to this show. They have. I think Regina's really carried it and just kept you grounded in a show that has put out so many theories and been so wild that she's kind of been you know salt of the earth kind of like you know when lube man came on and she's just like what the fuck man i think she keeps it she keeps it in this very like sort of tangible like emotional reality so like we everything that we see no matter how like kind of ridiculous we not just like it's easy to believe because of how good regina king is at just selling these moments her calmness in taking a hammer to a boyfriend's face and, you know, revealing yeah. that he is the most powerful being in the <laughs> universe. It's yeah. just like that, that calm is very interesting to me. Yeah. I, I want to know about the cow contingencies and whatever the hell's been going on. Yeah. I never forget when she faked the illness at uh, Shez Crawford and then she was like, Ooh, yes. I was wondering, just like, would, would Angela faint? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, think, okay, let's run with it. It's always it's one step. It's always one step ahead. I love it. Well, look, it's been fun. It's been really fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, it has really been fun. Um, I was really happy to talk about this episode with you. I'm sorry I couldn't get you on sooner, but hell, you're here. Hey, if there's a series two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but uh, thank you for coming on. Um, and I just want to ask before we go, uh, each of you, <laughs> I just like doing this. Uh, your one hope for uh, the remainder of the season, Jack. I hope we see Blue Dong. <laughs> oh damn! It wrote itself. You beat me to it, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> damn! It makes three of us. Uh, so, Jack, where can people find you? You can find me at Jack J Shepherd. Where can they find you? Jacob underscore Stoll Campbell. A. You can find me at Campbell A Campbell. And remind people where they can read your uh, words on Watchmen. Oh, yeah. Um, you can read my piece on the Hood of Justice Reveal in episode six at polygon.com. And I wrote about the show's sort of engagement with fascism in, like, for the first few episodes, I wrote that for birthmoviesdeath.com. Fantastic. And if anyone out there wants to commission Campbell to write more words on Watchmen, please do, because he's bloody great. Jack, uh, we also do another podcast called The Lost Boys, don't we? We do. Um, and you can find that on Lost Boys Pod. And we basically watch Lost. You've never seen it before. I've seen it eight times. Boom. That's the, the concept. Hard sell. Done. <laughs> Elevator pitch. I'm sad. Done. I'm absolutely, I'm ridiculous. Eight times. Eight times. Thank you very much for listening. And we shall see you next week for episode eight, which I don't know the title of. Does anyone know the title of episode eight? A God Walks Into a Bar. And, and, and her surname is a- Angela Abar. Oh, it's so good. See you next week.